0: Oh, Jeff, sorry. I I wasn't recording.
1: <laughs> no you weren't. What?
0: Yeah, the numbers weren't going down or up. Welcome
2: to Fraculus, a technology podcast for humans. Episode 320. Notification hell, pagers, and the crystal maze.
0: We're going to skip back to the beginning. Sorry.
1: But you're Will Head, Fixation Video Professional.
0: I know. I know. And I've, I've ruined it for everyone.
1: I can't do my quality gold David McLennan material again.
0: Well, that's fine, because that's recorded on your side.
1: You do have that, yes. I've I've got a red light here. Do you want to see what that looks like so you can compare it to your setup?
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely recording now. So, Jeff, it's just me and you this week. Where is David? David is on his way back from the photography show. I miss his dimpled chin. I think it will be joining us along with the rest of David McClelland.
1: He's getting very famous. He's going he's gonna to get too big for this. He'll be whisked off to, you know, Channel 5 soon, right?
0: No, he's already on Channel 5. And we're going to have to carve out his time, maybe talk to his agent to get him on the show. But in the meantime, we can talk yes. about notifications, Jeff.
1: We, oh, I, I just would love to talk about notifications. Can I give you my thoughts on notifications?
0: Yes, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jeff.
1: The world has too many notifications. <laughs> And uh, this all came this this came to a head to use your surname this week i'm in a, i was in a whatsapp group with about 10 people and i was trying to concentrate on something and my phone just kept binging and i i sort of picked up my phone and i hurled it but i hurled it into 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 my sofa
0: into a soft landing
1: i I, I, I wasn't trying to break my phone but i, I needed to, i was like just stop binging and i was like you know and this is one of the reasons why we've already did this last time. I don't want to get an Apple Watch. Because I just think I'd, my, my wrist all day would be like, bing, bing. i just spend all day checking my watch.
0: Well, I found the watch is very good for triaging those kind of notifications. Tri-
1: triage? It's
0: triage, yeah. It's basically it's deciding whether you have to do anything or not.
1: But you're a video uh, editor by trade. Don't you find that sometimes you just want to concentrate on something? And I definitely have moments where I think, I just want to do this for the next hour or two. And sometimes I've just, I've just turned my phone off. And I, I find I'm doing that more As I'm getting older, I want to be notified less.
0: Well, I use Do Not Disturb quite a bit now. And I only started using it when I started wearing my watch at night. And then I did obviously didn't want it pinging all the way through. So I turn Do Not Disturb on when I go to sleep and I turn it off when I wake up. But I do also, if I do need to get stuff done, occasionally I'll turn that on. And I found that works really well. And it's, it's very clear on the watch when you've got it enabled. So it's, it's, you don't end up leaving it enabled. What I
1: do realise, though, in, in saying all this, is that I, th- well, I think my protests are going to fall on deaf ears. Because uh, I think we're in a world where people just want more notifications than ever. And so well, one of my friends amusingly went, oh, well, you, sh- you should join Snapchat. And Snapchat, I've discovered, it's all is, is is about constantly just messaging people all flipping day. And obviously, I'm I'm not a luddite. Uh, I I know how to, you know, turn off notifications. Or at least I thought I did, <laughs> until I went into the WhatsApp app, uh, where I discovered that uh, the WhatsApp app has has got a settings section for notifications. But the iOS control, you know, settings part of the iPhone. Also has, obviously has notifications. And I'm going, well, wh- which which do you set? Which overrides which? Because you could logically argue that iOS overrides the app. And you could argue that the app overrides iOS. And I, I and I, there were so many options. I was like, I don't know which ones to try here. Uh, and, uh, and I had a little strop. And I just deleted WhatsApp.
0: Right. <laughs> That was your solution to the problem.
1: If, if there was just a label making it clear which over, o- overrides which, that would help. But it's not. It's not clear, and I still don't know. So if you know, tell me. The, the easiest way to not get any WhatsApp notifications is to not use WhatsApp. So I have I've have told people just text me or old school email me. So remember, I am not on Facebook, and I am now no longer on WhatsApp. In fact, I told David, and he didn't believe me. <laughs> so so he so he sent me some WhatsApp messages, and then. Uh, it, sort of slightly indignant, he did have to iMessage me, going, "You're right. I've I've, I've watched that you, but I've only got one tick, meaning delivered delivered to the server, but not not to you." So only then did he believe that I've removed WhatsApp. And I just, I think, I just think we're in a world now where um, there's actually so many communications uh, channels: iMessage and Facebook and what, BBM and all that. You know that it, it's actually. The technology is working against us and it's not making things more streamlined or better. It's just giving us more places to, to check. And surely, logically, the less places you have to check, the, the easier um, you know, your communication channels are, are to manage. I don't want to have to check five different apps. I want to check one app and have all my notifications in one area.
0: Although that's one thing I found in iOS in particular is the notification center. I mean, it's not perfect.
1: It's it's far from perfect.
0: Sometimes it doesn't notify you about things you think it should have done. Other times, apps stop notifying you until you open them up and they get re-enabled in some way or other. So it's not a perfect system by any means. But I think it's better than it definitely used to be.
1: I remember when the BBC breaking news tour came out. Sorry, no, the, the BBC news... App and you could turn on notifications for you know for for, for breaking news, and, and, and after a week, i um, having that little the BBC headline news pop up. I was like, yeah, I don't really need this anymore. And no matter what I did, uh, I kept getting notifications. So again, I just deleted the app. <laughs> See,
0: as a theme here, Jeff, <laughs>
1: because I couldn't work out how to turn off <laughs> BBC breaking news notifications. It is not simple i just don't think it's it's straightforward and i'm clearly not as i said i'm not an idiot when it comes to, te- to technology so how people that you know really struggle with with using technology cope i have no idea
0: and was it just group messages or was it one-to-one messages
1: a combination of, of all I've got, I've got like one of my best friends is on android so they just that they they can't iMessage message me they like oh i could text you but that costs money so they like to just whatsapp me and so they're really annoyed
0: so they don't have an inclusive plan?
1: I guess not. I think they have to. I think they have so many texts.
0: I've never found text to be anything I've paid for in the last three or four years, and even then I've had bundles.
1: Beware! Beware that. Sorry, we're getting off on a tangent here. That all those inclusive text bundles uh, usually don't count for um, text services. If you're at a bus stop and you text the TFL number to find out the, the next bus uh that 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 is not included in your bundle and they will charge you 12p so
0: if it's a short code
1: if it's a short code yeah then it's not included in your bundle that that, that I learned that the hard way when I got a a large phone bill one month because I'd just been texting all these short codes
0: i just got a notification on my watch
1: is david here david are you there say something
0: david is is in slack
1: oh david has joined the meeting
0: we can see david McClelland.
1: this is very exciting someone's joining mid mid cast How... Are you? How are you going to edit that in? That's
3: going to be good. I turned off quite a few notifications recently on on iOS. <laughs> in particular, Twitter. My Twitter got very busy for a couple of weeks back there.
0: Was this during the troll hunting?
3: Exactly. It was getting busy, but also I was um, a bit concerned about how it might turn out as well. And, uh, you know, I think if I learned anything from doing that, it's don't let notifications rule your life yet by enabling the defaults, it can, they can very quickly do that. So I thought, well, you know what? Let's experiment. Let's just let's just turn some of them off. Still one or two left on. And Twitter gives you a fair degree of granularity, actually. Yeah, um, I, I muted muted some things, and uh, I think got back a fair bit of my life. I feel as though I'm in control again now. It's
1: like when you unsubscribe from from you know someone that just sends you like a random mailing list, and you get, and you feel like you get you get your life back because your inbox is just that bit emptier, so it's nice.
3: Yeah, I get that. But here's the difference between what I've done and what you've done, Jeff. with deleting WhatsApp. And I know because I've tried to ping you on WhatsApp and, you know, we went through, you emailed me to tell you that you were no longer responding to WhatsApps and then I WhatsApped you just to see if it got the double tick <laughs> and whether you actually received it and whether it got the blue ticks to see if I'd caught you, um, but you hadn't. I haven't gone as far as deleting anything yet, um, although Vine is going to get deleted very soon because that's really annoying me. I, I, I just... Go to the app and check when I want to check it because you know I certainly get some value from the WhatsApp groups that I'm in. Same with Facebook and Twitter.
1: Weirdly, the same week that I deleted WhatsApp, I reinstalled Instagram on my phone, and I've sort of been re—I've sort of been re-, re enjoying Instagram. But I really like the fact that there's no notifications on it, and it's just—it's just when I choose to look at Instagram, I dip in, have a quick look. There's no ping every so often. It just—I—I I, I want i want a, a, I, I just—it
3: does give you notifications. They...
1: No, it can do, but I think I've somehow by default managed to not have that on. So I like the fact that Instagram doesn't doesn't notify me. So it's great. I just want to be notified less about things.
0: But there is a setting, because this all came about because you have not enabled Slack notifications. Ah. And so I've had to email you to ask you to check Slack, which seems to be the opposite of what Slack is meant to achieve, which is this, it's meant to replace email.
1: So I, I use Slack for two, I'm in two Slack groups, one this one and one something else at my, in my other life. And in my other life, I have it turned on, but only when I'm mentioned, I think, which I think is, is a setting that you can do. And that's really nice.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say.
1: Maybe I should do that then.
0: And then if I need you, rather than having to email you. Would you
1: like to see me do it? I could do it right now.
3: <laughs> While you're doing that, Jeff, I, I think there's something else though, uh, and particularly with Slack for iOS and uh, maybe it's an Apple Watch thing as well, but I think it's when you come to rely on those notifications to the extent that you don't go and check the apps, either because of some miscommunication between my Apple Watch and my iPhone or, or, or something else. I've missed notifications. They haven't appeared on my watch or on my phone, and, you know, it's only when I go and check, I go, hang on a minute, I've got four missed messages there. I didn't receive notifications from them. So, in a way, I hadn't thought to go back and check them because I thought I would have noticed the notifications.
1: Does that make you want to manually check things more often and and not rely on notifications?
3: It would be very easy to go down the route of having the worst of both worlds, wouldn't it? You know, to be constantly checking it and also to be pinged when you, you know, when you do get notifications, you know, it's kind of a, a double time drain.
0: But I have found that notifications in iOS is imperfect. And that one thing I was saying earlier was that it's the built-in apps seem to behave better for notifications than some third-party ones. So I was using Inbox by Gmail for a while, but what I found there was a difference to the watch notification. Say if I had more than one email at a time, Inbox by Gmail would say, you have three messages, whereas the built-in iOS mail app would be more useful and say you have one from David, you have one from Jeff, you also have an email from Slack. So there was kind of more granularity just in scanning the information I was receiving. But then I have also found that I've stopped receiving notifications from an app and only noticed after a couple of days and thought, hmm, I haven't had any any notifications from the app for a while, reopened it, and then that's re-enabled the notifications. So I think it's not perfect yet.
3: No. I mean, it's iPhones only coming up for nine years old.
0: But there didn't even used to be anything to store notifications. I remember the, when they first enabled push messages and you'd get a pop-up. It was one you had to do dismiss. But once you dismissed it, that was it. There was no way of even... Checking the message.
1: I believe you didn't have a notification sent until iOS 7, which I want to say was 2012?
0: It would have been so two years ago, wouldn't it? So 13. IOS so only like yeah.
1: three, three years old. So as a yeah. technology, it's still extremely recent.
0: Yeah, it's not perfect. Definitely not perfect. Whereas email is definitely something that which people are used to checking or notifications on other systems work well enough.
3: There's an audit trail for email. Yeah, a, a well understood inbox draft sent messages trash.
0: And I guess if we're, I've been using email for ooh, getting on for 20 years now. Hey, yeah.
3: when, when
1: I, I always like doing this. When, when did you send your first internet email? What year?
0: 1994. Ooh. Yeah, I, I want don't to say. No, I've never actually thought about this. It was a CompuServe email, it was a number at CompuServe.com, mm. which I shared with the family.
1: I was at a university, so it would have been, I want to say, I want, I want to say 1991 for me. I sent an email between- Wow. Between, I, I think mine was between, probably
0: around 93,
1: 94. I sent an email between the University of Surrey and the and the University of Brighton, and my friend replied within like 20 minutes. And I was, <laughs> and I had to ring him to go, What? How? how is, how is this, how is that working? I was blown so away. So you didn't get a notification
3: that was, for that <laughs> <then>. <laughs>
0: Not, not on
1: your on, pager. On my... On, on my way, oh, no, I had a pager. No, I did. Oh, of course wow. you did, Jeff. Of course you had a pager. No,
3: I did. I, I
0: had a pager.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: Yeah. I never had a pager, but when I first met Beck, my wife, she had the uh, Swatch pager watch. Oh, do,
3: you re- do you remember that? Yeah.
0: Where it was only numeric, so you couldn't take mm-hmm. any any messages other than a number. You'd literally assign yourself a number, phone it up, type your number in, and then Beck would then, on her wrist, get a notification and have to phone you back.
3: That was the future at the time, though, wasn't it? It was, but
0: it took. I think it took four of those coin batteries, and I think it lasted about a week. I mean, it really ate those coin batteries. It was the future, but it wasn't great in terms of battery life. They're going to make a comeback. These things
3: are going to make a comeback, I bet you.
0: But does the Pager Network even still work? Is it still out there?
1: Somebody should make an app that just replicates
0: pages.
1: Pages. (laughs) No, because because my pager, you dialed a number, you then typed in the number of the page you wanted to contact, and then you you typed in a four-digit number. And basically the four-digit number was the extension of the number that that person wanted you to ring. But very quickly, and I had it for for work purposes, but very quickly I realised amongst my friends that we came up with our own list of codes, Mainly all started with nine something, because on the, on the phone network where we worked, there, there was no phone extension, started with nine. And so we just came up with a list of, you know, we literally had like a printout of nine codes, meaning, you know, let's go to here for lunch or let's meet up for a drink later. And we just used to page each other with all these codes. So I used it more for personal purposes than work purposes. But
0: they weren't cheap, those, those pager messages, were they? And bizarrely, it was free on Orange back... I don't know why... But you could phone this number for, f- for free on orange, from what I remember.
3: Speaking of orange, um, I know I'm late to the party here. I think I look extremely orange. My face, I've got, I've got this, uh, I don't even know where this is behind me here. But that's also very orange and very kind of peachy indeed. So I apologise if I'm looking a little bit more David Dickinson.
0: So where are you staying at the moment, David?
3: I'm staying at the Genting Hotel. Uh, I'm, so I'm in Birmingham. Hang on, you're, what? You're not, you're not at home? I'm staying in a brand new hotel. It's only been open um, two or three months, I think, called the Genting Hotel, which is part of Resorts World at the NEC. And it's a welcome kick up the backside for nightlife at the NEC because you've got all these conferences, all these events that take place, and um, there's nothing here to do of an evening.
0: Apart from talk to your friends.
3: Apart from talk to your friends, exactly. However, that has all changed with this new hotel, which is a, it's it's a casino and it's a shopping mall and uh, lots of food. It's like having a mini Westfield just dumped next door to the NEC. Which for those of you who've been to the NEC before, you will know how dire it has been in the evening here. So yeah, that that's where I am.
0: And um, what are you what are you up to?
3: I am at the photography show, which is a an annual event. It takes place over four days, Saturday through to Tuesday. Uh, organised by Future Publishing. Um, and I'm doing a basically a little TV station here, the the official uh, live stream where I get to go around the show, get hands-on with cameras, hands-on with lenses, uh, hands-on with exhibitors sometimes. You must hate that, David. I hate it. I hate it. But also, I get to speak to some childhood heroes as well.
0: Who have you interviewed? I've been following your Twitter. Uh,
3: today I spoke with Chris Packham, who's a wildlife photographer. Legend. Legend exactly. Many people, even if they don't recognise the name, they'll recognise his face from Springwatch on the in the UK on. on and BBC. the really wild show. Obviously. And the really wild show exactly from the from the nineties, the nineties, maybe even the late eighties, kids. But no, he's he's Ace. We had a really a really really good chat actually. Uh, he's a he's a really switched on um, guy. Off, uh, talks a lot about perfection or the lack of about creativity as well. And you know, th- this is a journey that I've been on because I've been doing this job at the photography show for for the last three years now is I do tech okay I can talk about megapixels and apertures and dynamic range and all that sort of stuff but it's a photography show so as much as the kit is really important for a lot of people um, and me included it the the camera itself almost isn't It gets in the way of the photography for a lot of photographers, and that's what I hear time and time again. They could not give a monkey's about the camera. It's about the image. It's about the subject. It's about the moment and what story it is they're trying to tell or what personality they're trying to capture, which leaves me feeling very humbled when I've just got really excited holding the brand-new Canon 1DX Mark II, 14 frames a second, an incredible feat of engineering from Canon, but it's not about the camera at the end of the day. It's about the photograph. Um, so, so yeah, you know that there is that kind of constant battle there. And yesterday, I got the big D. I got David Bailey yesterday, wow. which was an experience, and I've been how,
1: quite how old? How old? is he now? Is he? He must be.
3: He's late seventies. I think he was born wow. in about nineteen thirty, late nineteen thirties. Nineteen thirty-seven rings a bell. Good, goodness. Yeah.
0: Um, I, had, I had lunch at the Ivy with David Bailey once. Did you? Again. How was he? He was yeah he had some stories he definitely had some stories
3: yeah he yeah he um he doesn't suffer fools gladly i guess you know people who have been in his job who've been asked every question under the sun um but you know it's one of those things where people are you know quite nervous interviewing him and i'm like well you know what i get what i get from him you know i'm i'm not newsnight i'm and whatever my first question was i got a one word answer <laughs> I could hear some (laughs) chuckles from behind the camera. But I left my microphone, because it it was a handheld stick kind of uh, interview. I left my microphone under his mouth and psychologically, subliminally, that encourages people to carry on talking. So I just left it there for a second and he's like, you heard the penny drop go, okay, I'm supposed to carry on talking now. So he did. And from the beginning of the interview, where it was one word answers, through to the end, where the body language had entirely changed. He was facing me, he was looking at me, and he said... Good luck to you, kid. At the end, I thought, yes, we been on a real journey together in this interview.
0: Well, I do remember that one I was, this is part of when I used to be a journalist and we were invited by Lexmark with a group of people to have lunch with David Bailey. And there were probably about 10 of us, I think, there. And I'd had a bit of a chat with him, but obviously everyone was talking. And then um, I had to leave. I was on deadline. So I had to go back to the office before everyone else. And I was like, "Thank you for your time." Said I've got to go, and he was like, "But we've we've hardly talked." It's like, yeah, I don't think you're really here to talk to me. But it was very, it was very nice of him to...
1: So, 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 David, how are you enjoying the uh, the podcast so far tonight? It's all
3: right. <laughs> Sorry, I was giving a David Bailey answer there. It's all right.
1: Uh, and I'm, hold, I'm holding my microphone. Look, see what I've done.
3: Oh, I, I <laughs> yes, yes, very good, very good. <laughs> Come on. I'm working with you, Jeff. I'm working with you.
1: I got a, I got a prop. Okay, right. We won't try that again. Okay, <laughs> that, that's that's more of a visual gag than a, than, a, than an audio one, isn't it? That doesn't really work, so we'll put that away.
0: So, anything else to report from the show, David? That you've, you've had hands on with
3: 360 cameras. Uh, a few of those around. Um, Fly 360. We took a look at on the show. Um, hoping to have a look at the Rico Theta.
0: That's the one that I'm interested in at the moment. I think that kind of hits the middle ground of achieving 360 the price is good and it's not too much of a faff from the look of things because i've seen you sent me the link to the click video the the click program entirely in 360 and i think they're using six gopros on a in a cage that was one of their rigs yes and that just the post on that must be yeah. awful
3: Yeah, I I saw some tweets from Spencer Kelly Mm. at Spenly shortly afterwards, and uh, yeah, he was saying that the the post production on that was pretty arduous. So Rico's got the Theta, which is just Mm. a two camera solution. Um, That's very good. And also, I got to see what Nikon had done with the Key Mission 360. Now uh, they announced this at CES a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, I suppose. Um, And it's still beta. It's still pre production at the moment. But uh, yeah, I was able to see some of the output of it, um, put on an Oculus Rift headset as well. They were a little bit cagey about some bits of it still. I think it's going to launch just after the Olympics, just in time for Photokina, which takes place every two years in September. One of the challenges with the 360 cameras so far has been image quality. I don't think that would be so I, sh- I wouldn't think that would be a problem with Nikon if Nikon's putting its name to it image quality has to be absolutely rock solid so maybe that's where Nikon's using its point of differentiation but it's essentially the same it's two cameras super w- with the images actually overlap uh, each other on, on the side so they've got a bit of extra uh, fluff room to do the stitching together with.
0: One thing I'm struggling with for 360 video, from a production point of view,
3: mm-hmm.
0: is where do you put the crew? Because I'll I'll set up a shoot, and we all arrange ourselves behind the camera. So you can have a sound guy, you can have a second camera up, you could have just someone running questions, someone doing the interview. You could have three or four people on the shoot. Plus, you've got PRs. Plus, you've got other people involved. And the idea is to make the front of camera to look as beautiful and tidy and as non-distracting as possible once you're shooting 360 where do you put all those people how do you stop it being distracting
3: how do you direct the viewers attention to where you want it to be directed to as well um i don't know that people really know the answer to this stuff yet um and I guess that, that was another thing that uh, Spencer Kelly, what one of his lessons learned from the BBC Click 360 episode was that you can't do quick takes. you can't do cutaways um, just to hide and edit in the same way that you would do with you know a traditional linear bit 16 by nine. It, it has a feeling of live. In a way that you don't get when you're just doing standard sort of camera work. It's an entirely different texture. No one really knows yet. And that's why it's an exciting area to be working and experimenting in because you do feel as though it's frontier land and it's one of those rare areas in tech, you know, like when mobile phones were new and, you know, wearables maybe to a certain extent. I think it's that exciting
1: area when notifications first came in.
3: When notifications first came in, Jeff, yes. (laughs) Where there is a genuine opportunity for people to innovate and to learn and to experiment and to share stuff that's that's a great place
0: to be in are you looking to shoot stuff jeff 360
1: i was at youtube space the other week and they were proudly showing me this and it's literally like a little cube with with six gopros uh constructed on it
3: that sounds like what click did actually I,
1: and i went there and i went oh this looks really good and i and then i went what and i, but I then thought okay and they were like you can use it for something and i then thought yeah, but, but what? And actually, so I've struggled to come up with an idea of where actually that would be useful. And I've I've seen two videos online. One was a, a BBC report on, about something. Another one was a, a performance poet artist whom I follow on Twitter. And he was standing on a cliff and somebody had the 360 camera. But I, I didn't really want to look around. I wanted to look at what he was doing as he was saying it. So I'm... I, I'm still think it's a bit of a novelty at the moment and you know is there actually going to be a serious application for why 360 video is going to be uh, useful.
0: I guess we also have the consumption side of things which leads us on to PlayStation VR. How much is it going to be? It's going to be $400. I'm not sure about UK pricing and I think that compares to 600 for Oculus and $800 for Vive and none of these I don't think have UK pricing yet. But that gives you the range, at least.
3: It's undercutting the competitors quite significantly. And I think PlayStation, uh, well, Sony, they've broken one promise because they said first half of this year, it's coming out in the second half of this year, but still in plenty of time for the holiday season. And the big advantage that Sony has is that by this Christmas, they'll be in the region of 50
0: million PlayStation 4s out there. That's the thing. You need the PlayStation 4, so you need to account for that if you don't have one?
3: Yes, but there are 50 million people who already do. You compare that with the number of people, you know, based upon whatever NVIDIA says or whoever it was, you know, the 1% of people that have a PC capable of plugging in your Oculus to. Then actually the Sony is quite a compelling way of getting on board to VR. And there are lots of games. Sony, I know because I've heard from the uh, people on Sony Labs and, uh, and the developer side, Sony has got, a lot of investment in indie developers making content specifically for this platform and you kind of trust sony as a gaming platform to be working hard to try and get this stuff right so sony even though its vr offering may not be the most high tech in comparison to htc and oculus i think it's the most compelling platform for newcomers to it right now are you a gamer david i don't have time to be a gamer I, I'm not going to lie, I, I do have an Xbox 360, but that gets used to watch Sky and to play DVDs for my kids.
0: I took my, three, my Xbox to the tip last week. Did you? You
1: mean, you mean, you mean the recycling depot? You recycled it? I did. Yes? I took it to
0: the Recycling and Waste Management Centre and it was placed on the table to then be binned, no doubt, by somebody else. when they go, no one wants a 360 anymore. Not even a museum? It's been sat unplugged <laughs> for so long. And it's got to the point where it's like, why am I even keeping this? Sad days.
3: I was going to say, Jeff, you were just saying how 360 video, you feel as though that's a bit of a novelty without content at the moment. What's your take on VR? Um. Undecided then.
1: I want to come up with an answer that has an application into it. And having done it a couple of times both in gaming uh scenarios, I can see that having more practical examples because you can then basically let somebody experience something without them having to be there. So, you know, people can see things or experience things. Tourism, learn things, understand things, tourism. Yeah, but mate, you could also you could also like you could have an education VR model, you know? so you could you, you you could be at a lecture being taught something by someone without actually being there, which I think is great.
3: Google is all over this. Um, they've had David Attenborough doing something Great Barrier Reef Google Expeditions, it's called. I was at Bet a few weeks ago, the big education technology conference. Google was all over that with Google Cardboard. So the education, you're right, is a huge use case.
1: Sorry. I'm sorry. Hang on. No, no, no. Sorry. 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 There's a thing called Google Cardboard. <laughs> what? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah. Google yeah. Cardboard.
1: What the heck is Google?
0: <laughs> so I looked into this.
1: You've bought shares already, well, haven't you? I can see you've invested and you've upgraded to Cardboard 2 or 2.0 already. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that, that's happening. There was a long time tech genie called Andy Lim and he worked for a site called Recombu and one of the things that he made a video about was a budget VR solution, which involved basically putting your smartphone in a cardboard thing in front of your eyes. And then I think about three or four years later, Google did actually announce an official cardboard program, but I don't think they're selling cardboard itself. They're kind of more specking it out so you can build it or you can buy a pre-built cardboard thing that you slip your phone in. And the latest Cardboard 2 is now iPhone compatible, basically. And that's where we are. So
1: I'm sorry, I still don't actually know what Google Cardboard is. Could someone tell me in one sentence? One
3: sentence, one sentence. I'm going to do it in one sentence if you let me start it. Google Cardboard is a virtual reality head-mounted display made out of cardboard that you put your smartphone into that lets you watch, consume, experience virtual reality content. It's made out of cardboard, and it's got a couple of bits of plastic optics in there that essentially are macro lenses that give you that help you to focus on your screen really, really close to your eyes, and give you that stereoscopic vision. Basically,
1: I genuinely think that that's not a very good marketing name because I didn't know what it was, and cardboard to me you know, is 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 a bit of something a bit redundant. You know, it's it, it's but they need a better name.
3: So to, to to build on top of what Will said. The context here was the Google Developer Conference called I.O. This was two years ago, I think. And it was a matter of weeks after Facebook had bought Oculus VR, the makers of the Oculus Rift, for $2 billion. Um, and then Google turned around in a very cheeky move and said, yeah, $2 billion, ha, you can do virtual reality for about two billion. And each member of the conference, there's one made out of cardboard on your seat right now, but you have to make it yourself. So they gave them a little kit that they made themselves. Nice. And it, nice. Was, and it was seen as a joke to begin with and a big kind of like dig in the ribs at Facebook. And then people realised the power of this were saying, hang on a minute. this democratizes virtual reality or content consumption or whatever else
0: and i think it is a good it's a good entry level option and if you do a quick search on amazon i think for about four or five pounds you can get a cardboard version but for kind of around 20 pounds there's like a proper headset that it's, you yeah. still slip your phone in but it's made of plastic it has a headband that kind of thing, This. and it just—I think it just lets people experience it without having to lay down the money on a proper VR solution. Let me show you something, boys. This here what do you have there, David? is
3: uh, essentially a. Re- this is a stripped down as virtual reality can get. It's a uh, Homido who make these virtual reality headsets that you're talking about. You slap your smartphone into for about twenty quid, mm-hmm. but this is a really chopped down version. It's got two of the lenses in it, and it just clips over your phone like this so you pop on and the thing is facebook supports 3d content now youtube supports 3d content you just pop it on hold it there move your face around you've got the head tracking the motion tracking that there's all you need as an on-ramp a very cheap on-ramp it's not going to be as immersive as a full-on head-mounted display but this gets you 80 percent of the way there and particularly for people who are new to it have never tried it before this is a one little way of just you know teasing them a bit (laughs)
0: Final thing I wanted to talk about, you've been to somewhere fairly exciting recently.
1: Sainsbury's?
0: Yeah, Sainsbury's. <laughs> it was the big one in Sydenham.
1: There was a giant mega, mega Sainsbury's in Sednham. I, I, I still get, from a man who's been used to going to Tesco like local his entire life, to walk to a big Sainsbury's, it's, it's a little bit mecca. It's a beautiful thing.
3: Somewhere slightly less exciting than Sainsbury's, but still quite exciting nonetheless.
0: For anyone that grew up in the nineties.
1: Visit that I took to the Crystal Maze last week as I got on the press list. I I, I did think that was so I worked for a London website called Londonist.com and what was uh, amusing is that I noted that, is that there was like a pecking order in which in which people got to go. So so all the big boys went first. So like all, all the they had three press days the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So the Wednesday was like all the T V stations. And, and, and the radio stations, and and then the Thursday was like all all, all the uh, was all the newspapers, and then the Friday was all like the blogs and websites. And so I was on I was on the blog <laughs> blogs and website stage, we're obviously considered third tier, which I always thought was interesting.
3: Was there tiering within the third tier? Were there oh, like individual ooh. bloggers who do stuff? But you know, because the Londonist, I'd say it's much more than a a blog, but by a long stretch
1: we started as a blog but we actually had an internal meeting the other day where we we you now if anybody refers to us as, as a blog we email them politely and say could you just refer to us as the londonist please and not not a log we are just a, a website about london so yes we are actively um d- dissuading people to refer to us as a blog we got like the lunchtime shift i i gathered there was like a lunchtime slot and then a late afternoon slot and i like the fact that we were first so i don't know who was in the afternoon slot on day three but I think that they would have been there at the bottom of, of the pecking orders.
0: So that's bottom of tier three, but is your, you're at the top of tier three. So
1: I was at the top of tier three, yes. It's right near Angel Tube Station. I'm not allowed to tell you where it is, but I can tell you it's right near, like from the entrance of what's sort on of it, they are just taken over like an office slash warehouse. You can see the entrance to Angel, to Angel Tube in London. Uh, there's a reception area. First of all, they, they give you orange puffer jackets to wear. So you look like a bit like a, 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 a spaceman or just somebody from the 1990s generally.
0: Keeping that 90s theme.
1: No, but it was great. I wanted to take mine home. It was really good. Uh, rather than there'd be one team, uh, there's four teams. Obviously, they're in it. It's a business, so to make more money, they have four teams playing at once. But there are the four original zones. Don't mention the Ocean Zone. Did you know there were two... There was, there was a series... I didn't realise. I thought it was... Was it Richard O'Brien, I want to say? Is that yes. his name? Yes. He didn't do some of the later series.
0: No, no. He was taken over by... I can't remember the man.
1: To me, Crystal Maze has always been Richard O'Brien, but apparently they then brought in the they got rid of like the Aztec Zone and they brought in the Ocean Zone. And and so the running joke is don't mention the Ocean Zone. And basically, they have recreated some of the games like perfectly, and then they've made up some of their own ones. The, The weird thing is, is that. It, it's exactly like the TV show and they play the music and it's all built perfectly but the the, the the pressure is on but they go right you have two minutes inside this room go and you literally spend the first ten seconds going what is it that I have to do here and that's, that is the, the thing that you have to get your head around really quickly is a- ascertaining the game. Once you've worked out what the game is, the game is quite simple, but but the panic is how fast can you work out what it is you've actually got to do. We had one where there was like a giant screwdriver, but it was on a bungee cord, so you had to pull it from one side of the room to the other to like unscrew something, but it kept like yanking back, so that uh, that was fun.
0: Did anyone get locked in?
1: No, no uh, I, uh, I, me obviously, had seconds to spare on one of them. We had to sort of run around the, the side of the room. Catapult over something, run back around again, retrieve it. and You had to do it like six times, and that then opened up a flap, and then a, a crystal, a crystal appeared. But you had to shuffle across on your hands, and you meant to walk across. And I, because I have got long arms, I've, I worked out that I could only go halfway across. And I just leant and picked up, pick up the crystal, and then realised that I need to ha- have my hands to balance myself. So I put the crystal in my mouth, <laughs> yeah, and then dropped the crystal out of my mouth. <laughs> And with them counting down five, four, I grabbed, grabbed the crystal, put it back in my mouth and then sort of like rolled out the door and, and made it. And it was quite amusing. Very authentic.
0: There was a great story I, I heard about the filming of it that apparently, obviously, it would, as we all know, filming takes longer than real time. So an hour show of the crystal, crystal maze could take a full day to shoot with each team. And I'd heard that basically if you got locked in at the beginning of the day, they would leave you in your room for the entire day's filming. So that's not what I heard. I then did some research and found out it wasn't true, but I thought that would be absolutely brilliant if that was the case. In the TV
1: series, if you got locked in, you, they, they took some shots of you being locked in, looking frustrated, and then you went and sat um, back backstage in the green room. And then if you were recalled... They then put you back into the room where you've been locked in, and then they'd release you. That's how it would happen on on TV. In two thousand and sixteen, they can no, you know, due to health and safety fire hazards. Uh, in when if you play it at Angel, if you're lucky enough to get tickets, uh, you don't get locked in, but you do get put into a dungeon area, and you're sort of locked up, but you're not confined to um a room and an interesting slant is that it can give up a crystal to have you released or there's a there's a puzzle which we didn't get to do because no one got locked in but there's a puzzle which you can do in in the dungeon area and if you do it then you can sort of you can like self-release yourself i get it's like you know the the get out of jail free card it was really
0: good do you know how long it's going to be around for
1: it was until october and then they sold all the tickets so i believe they've just extended it So I think it's crystal-maze.com so that more tickets are for sale. It's 50 quid, though, during the week and then £60 at the weekend. It's not cheap. We were discussing this, but we were saying how much is Secret Cinema? Secret Cinema is, is I think, it's it's even more, isn't it? It's like £70 or something. And you don't get to do anything except watch a film.
0: You get to dress up in a place you don't know where you're going.
1: Yeah, you pay for the costume. But the Crystal Maze, you do actually...
0: You get get a puffer jacket to wear.
1: You do get a puffer jacket. I love the puffer checkers. weird There's it, a weird balance. The less, there are, the less number of people there are on your team, the more games you get to play, obviously. But the more people there are on your team, the more time you have at the end to grab the golden tokens. And then the brilliant thing they told us is that... So the, the dome is there, the final dome, and they apparently got... They found the people that manufactured the dome for the TV series and they got them back in to... to they got the same design people in to build it for them. And they then told the story that, in some instances... On the TV series, the automatic blowers that blew up, you know, the gold and silver tokens didn't work. So there were literally four men, you know, like crew, lying underneath with like leaf leaf blowers, blowing up. That that's how it did it. But here in 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 where they've recreated it to play, um, there are I gather there's there's no men with leaf blowers. There are just machines. That was another difference in the original TV series. You got a point I think for every gold token you grabbed, but you got deducted a point for every silver one you grabbed. They wouldn't go into details, but apparently this was technically too complicated, and so in, in the crystal maze here, there are no silver tokens, just, just the gold ones.
0: I'm, I'm slightly disappointed to learn that the silver tokens aren't involved because I had a theory <laughs> watching it, <laughs> go, thinking go that you'd actually be better off having a few people randomly taking the tokens from the air, but they have one person stationed just at the box. Mm. Who is Ta-
1: taking out? Yeah, taking tokens. out. So
0: literally, people are passing them to the person who is then doing a filter. That's a
1: great and that idea. Would,
0: and that was the way to win the crystal maze. But mm. now, obviously, I will never know if that is the case. Okay. But no one ever did it. They just went haphazardly, grabbed tokens, shoved them in the box. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. But it's Ooh. not. Will, it's- will, will. It's not about the winning. It's
0: the taking part. No, it's about the winning.
3: Speaking of speaking of taking part, I mean, you were talking about the price there, Jeff—fifty pounds, sixty pounds, whatever. Value for money. Yeah, I was
1: in a team of four. If if you were in a team of eight, you get to play less of the number of games. Not all of the games. Some of the games, you know, your teammates shout encouragement through the window. Some, a couple of the games are proper team games. You do participate because you can see things that that the guy, the person inside can't it, especially the one where you have a visor put down and you can't see and you are guiding your your teammate but some of them can only really be done by the person inside so uh in a team of four it, it was just about value for money But may, maybe up to a team of six if there was more than six of you you know the more that the more there are of you the less you get to participate
3: oh and, and final question final question for me anyway um we, you know, you mentioned how Richard O'Brien was such a key part of the television series, at least ma- many of the seasons of it, as a curator. Who was your curator during your time in the Crystal Maze?
0: Ed Tudor-Pole. So I've just remembered that's who it was. It was yes. Ed Tudor-Pole who took <sighs> over from Richard O'Brien. Sorry, back to you, Jeff.
1: They did get in touch with Richard O'Brien and they recorded some footage of him and they were going to have, like, you know, some sort of um, projector hologram style welcome to the crystal maze but apparently it just didn't work very well uh they had technical issues and they didn't want it to look shit so they said we won't actually do it so they actually are, you know so richard actually doesn't appear so they just got some old vhs style footage of him saying hello to the crystal maze but they have actors that are dressed up and they have they have you know crazy names so you are led round by A a guide. And they're very like, come on, we must run. And they, you know, and they banter with you and it's all, it's all good. There's, there's no Mumsy though. If you remember who Mumsy was, Mumsy, Mumsy does not make an appearance. Sad face, sad face. Um, I have been going back and watching old episodes on YouTube.
0: Was this before or after you went?
1: Uh, I did watch on the night before. And then the day I came, I, I watched an entire episode on YouTube.
0: Was that for strategy?
1: Just to remind myself, um, I, don't, I don't want to give away too much, but we did play a game that was an exact uh, take on what had been in the original TV series. I think this this could be a whole a whole genre. You know, what what other what other eighties and nineties TV shows that can be recreated in a, in an immersive theatre experience?
0: Let's challenge Annika. You could do that in um, VR.
1: <laughs> the Krypton Factor. Remember that.
0: Yes, oh. you can. You can actually still do the assault course, I believe.
3: Total wipeout, of course. Yes, that's coming to towns and cities all over the UK. But best of all, I then I then started
1: reminiscing about the Crystal Maze fruit fruit machine. There was like a pub game machine that you could play. The do you remember that? You could play the Crystal mm. Maze, and I'm not making this up. The greatest moment is that one Saturday, I you know met some friends in the pub at lunchtime, and we played the Crystal Maze game. And then that evening, in Guildford, we were in another pub. And Richard O'Brien was actually there. He was in the pub, and we were like, "Oh my god, he's like."
0: Was he playing the machine as well?
1: <laughs> it was a different pub, and they had no machine. Oh, ha- happy days! Thanks for asking about that. That <laughs> was that was fun.
2: End of Fraculus. If your puny human minds can handle more, then follow on Twitter. At sign F R A C K U L O U S or individually. At sign David McClelland D A V I D M C C L E L L A N D. At sign Jeff Tech G E O F F T E C H. At sign, will, head, w i l l h e a d. Email your brains to hello at sign Start the fans, please.
1: I think he's being all famous, isn't he? And he's you know, flying around the world now. I worry, I worry that he's, you'd worry that he's going to leave us behind. We can talk about him. <laughs> I, lo- I love his little dimple on his chin, that's my favourite thing about him. Sorry, you said my least favourite thing about him. The fact that he looks like Joe Hart, the Man City goalkeeper. I find that conf- confusing. I-, I keep expecting him to dive across the room every time I see him and, and you know, save save a shot. Never happens. I don't hate anything about him. I, uh, I love my colleague dearly. That's the correct answer, isn't it? That is the correct answer. <laughs>